Rapid expansion? We're ready. Worker shortage? We're good. Anything can change the world of work. A celebrity buys the company. Depends on who it is. But relax, we've got ADP. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hi, I'm Michael Calia, Wall Street Journal reporter. I'm here with Eric Bana, star of the upcoming Netflix original movie, Special Correspondence. Eric, welcome. Thanks, Michael. It took me a week to learn that piano intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... How did you like it? You know, um, you know, many Americans don't know this, but your background is comedy. Yes. And, and then right there was a perfect example of timing. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm the perfect bumbling straight man here. <laughs> so, uh, so special correspondence is actually a, a return to comedy. Could you, um, could you elaborate? You're, you're part Frank Bonneville, a, a radio journalist. Could you explain who Frank is and what situation he's caught up in? Yeah, so Frank is a very confident um, radio journalist at a local radio station based in New York. And he's a bit of a big fish in a small pond and, and got a huge ego and, you know, honestly thinks that um, life owes him something. And he's paired with Ricky Gervais's character uh, and they are told to go to Ecuador to cover, a, um, to cover a war that's breaking out. And on the way to the airport, Ricky's character loses... Um, our passports and our tickets because he's going through a marriage breakup and he's slightly distracted. <laughs> and we have to decide how we're going to get around this. And, and Ricky comes up with the idea of, of um, faking the fact that we've gone to Ecuador. We set up a, a studio upstairs in a tapas restaurant in downtown New York over the road from the radio yeah, station. Yeah, right across the street, yeah. <laughs> and hide out. And this very small lie gets, well, it's not a small lie, it's quite a big lie, um, gets bigger and bigger and bigger uh, in order for us to keep the uh, keep up the front. So it's just it's a great premise for a kind of... It's a remake, right? It's a remake of a French film, but... Loose, right? I don't know what it's called. I'm guessing Le Special Correspondence. <laughs> um and uh, the premise is just, it's a, a good premise for two people stuck in a room, basically. Right. And uh, Ricky Gervais, of course, directed and wrote it. Yeah. And he also got to keep his accent, whereas <laughs> you and Kelly MacDonald, who, who, who's from Scotland, yeah. uh, had to do your American accents. Yeah, and you it both sucks. Had... It's, it's always, there's this, there's this weird thing where there's all these Australians in Hollywood, but none of us are ever allowed to be Australian. Right. And um, it, it always perplexes me. This was one of the few times where I thought, oh, I wonder if I could persuade Ricky. Because there's plenty of, as you know, on-air Australian journalists. I mean, on yeah, CNN. In this, in this on, building in this building. Well, yeah. I mean, so um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't get that past him. I didn't push too hard. But um, it would be – it would seem – too good to be true to be able to act and not have to do an accent. But obviously I'm used to it and it's, there's kind of yeah. no way around it. You've been doing American accents for a while now. And, and you know, American audiences know you more in your, your serious leading man or blockbuster roles. Um, how, did it, how did it feel to cut loose a little bit? I mean, even though Ricky still is, is Ricky and he does his shtick and mm. plenty of laughs, but you get to play like kind of a, a comic – middle-aged Lothario in a way. Yeah. How did it feel? Well, it's kind of interesting because in actual fact, they're both straight men in the mm -hmm. film. It's not like um, 
you know, we sort of take it in turns being being idiots. They're both kind of actually most of the characters in the film are, are playing it generally straight, which is what I love about Ricky's Ricky's sense of humour. Um, and the, the comedy comes out of the situations we're in. So it never felt like a kind of broad comedy. Mm. It never felt like, oh, you know, I'm going to go and let loose in the comedy world. Um, it was my favourite kind of comedy, one that's got a bit of pathos in it. Okay, it, it ends up being quite farcical, in, right. to, you know, based on the storyline. But, you know, the, the Frank is at his funniest when he's just really mean and angry towards Finch. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And then Finch is Ricky's character. Yeah. And, and Ricky is, you know, he's put upon and, you know, he's 50 and he's kind of down on himself and he's married to um, Vera Farmiga's character who ends up having a fling with Frank, who's, who's played by Eric. And, of course, that adds to the, to the yeah. tension. Um, how much of that – well, obviously the plot and stuff was in the script, but how much of the dialogue between you and Ricky, uh, especially you know, when you get into these kind of conflicts, um, came about through improv on the set? Yeah, I mean we improved every day. Uh, Ricky had written a really great script – and he was determined for the film not to be too long. Like, I think the original cut was three hours, and he oh, wow. got it down to an hour and a half. And, yes, we would muck around every day, and we would ad-lib, and we would go off on tangents. And sometimes that's great. I, I think that helps scenes, even if the end scene doesn't have any improv. It, it helps inform the dynamic of your characters. Sure. Um, there's there's probably some stuff in the in the finished version that's, that's improv-based, um, but generally, you know, you do sort of tend to come back to the narrative because, I mean, there's there's a few scenes here where we went off on some crazy tangents that are hilarious. But it's at a point in the movie at an hour and fifteen where suddenly you're on a <laughs> you're on a slide and you're heading in, you know, in, with such speed towards the end, and you've got right. to get there and. You don't have time to have a breakout five-minute dialogue about you finding your captive sexy, you know, <laughs> your, 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 your hostage taker, you know, really sexy, and and so, yeah, the narrative He's always an attractive wins. fellow. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, and those are the final scenes. The movie takes kind of like almost like not to give anything away, but mm. it kind of takes like a an almost like a, an action movie turn. It's almost like Tropic Thunder in a way where it's like yeah, stuff gets yeah. real. Um, where did you film those scenes? We filmed everything. We, the film was shot in Toronto. Yeah. We picked up a few the days here. Stuff, yeah. We came here for a few days. Uh, but um, Ecuador was, you know, 45 minutes from our hotel. We built a little <laughs> Ecuador. And it was so funny because, you know, Ricky loves things being close. And he said to them, um, uh, what are we doing about Ecuador? And they said, we built Ecuador, you know, not far from here. He says, how far? And they said, 50 minutes. He goes, mm, really? Uh, oh, I guess it's Ecuador, though. You know, like, but... Um, no, so Ecuador much, in Canada? Ecuador in Canada. They did an amazing job, actually. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Did, now, did you film those scenes in the summertime, at least? Or? We did. Okay, yeah. so there was a little yeah. bit of warmth in the air. Have you ever actually been to Ecuador? No, I haven't. I, I haven't either, so I can't really talk. About it. <laughs> um, so, special correspondence. You had the finest hours earlier this year. Um, uh, you played a Coast Guard captain. Both of these roles, uh, not a captain, but a superior officer. Mm. Both of these roles are very specific types: radio journalist, Coast Guard uh, commander. Are you the type of actor who really like researches a role and like hangs out with people who do the, these jobs that you're playing? In some cases, it depends on what you're playing, mm-hmm. and it depends on the lead time that you've got and proximity. I mean, obviously, you know, I live in Australia, so yeah. I, most of my research is done from home. 
um, and then close to the production. I'll sometimes take field trips a few months out. I like to go to the production. I try and get into a habit of going to the production two or three months before we start shooting. I like to get a lot of things out of the way, so I will I will try and meet with all the departments um, ahead of time, like do all the you know wardrobe and 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 makeup departments and all that sort of stuff ahead of time do a bit of research go home and then you know be ready to shoot when we right. come back in because it's one of the disadvantages of being on the other side of the globe is that you do sort of feel disconnected so sometimes i'll do those field trips right well the the radio voice your character frank puts on in special correspondence felt very authentic right. uh you know how much radio did you listen to how much american radio did you listen to were there any particular people that you listened to that you modeled yeah. it after well, Australia is similar to the UK in that radio is huge. In fact, the biggest, highest paid people in entertainment in Australia are not actors and they're not TV people. They are radio presenters. Wow. Yeah. Breakfast radio, drive time radio. Right. Radio has always culturally been a very big part of our lives, still is today. Um, so I've grown up with radio being just, you know, talk radio being on in the car my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's someone that's... I'm familiar with that personality. I'm familiar with people having a slightly different voice when they're on air to when they're right. off air. Um, and so he's, yeah, he's loosely based on, on a, a few people and obviously just a well-written character, so it was yeah. kind of easy. Uh, that's that's fascinating about Australia being so uh, in tune with radio, yeah. so to speak. Why, why is it so important culturally? Why, because radio here is, is kind of, you know, kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit um, with the rise of podcasts. Hello. And... Um, you know, satellite radio. What is I it think, about it there? I've actually never thought about this before because no one's asked that question. But I think it's probably because when you go back historically to a majority of our television being product that was bought from overseas, be it British or American, radio was ours. You know, we had our own voices on the radio. Um, so, and and we've always been pretty good at it. You know, we've got some really interesting, highly opinionated shock jocks. We've got some very intelligent people on a lot of great talk back. Um, it attracts a lot of a lot of good talent, and it's always been a. It's never been a kind of uh, you know lesser than. It's mm-hmm. always been as important as as television. So, and also our obsession with sport. So you know, oh, yeah. lots and we ha- we have a you know a, a major uh, sport radio station that just does nothing but sport twenty four hours a day, and and it's uh, it's live twenty four hours a day. So um, yeah, I think culturally it's it's about us having our own Australian accented voice. <laughs> I know. Do, do you do a lot of radio down there? Um, I do when I'm promoting a film, and it's interesting because I always say to people that are coming to Australia, if they're doing press, so you're doing a ton of radio, right? They go, well, no, not really. I said, well, if you're not doing radio, you're not really promoting your, oh, well, your film. It's You're kind of invisible if you don't do radio. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, um, well, crazy for me from my limited American <laughs> perspective, but have you, you know, you have you have the background in comedy. You're obviously well-versed in, in you know, sports, um, Australian rules football. You're a huge fan, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're a big gearhead motor motorsports guy too mm-hmm. have you ever thought about doing your own radio show i know i haven't <laughs> it would involve a hell of a lot less travel so uh maybe when i eventually completely Pays well, burn out, right? yeah when i finally burn out and rip up my passport maybe that's that's the way to go <laughs> I, I have heard of you know these people who have these um podcasts and stations and it's it is yeah sounds interesting sounds 
tempting. Has podcasting take, taken off in Australia um, with obviously radio so dominant? Mm. Uh, I would think either podcasting would grow because of that, because it's an extension of that, or it might be diminished because radio is so direct. I think it's it's not growing at the same rate it is. I think it's more popular here. Yeah. And maybe that's just because radio has a has a, a greater presence. So I think maybe the podcast thing feels less of a novelty for Australians because, you know, they rely on radio heavily already. Mm-hmm. Um, it's starting to take off, but uh, no, it's not it's not as it's not as um, done. I don't, I don't think it's got the same momentum in Australia as it does here. So back to special correspondence. Um, so the movie's just debuting this week on Netflix. You're seeing more and more projects go to Netflix and Amazon and all these streaming services, bypassing theaters in some cases. As a prominent movie actor, someone who gets a lot of good roles, um, what does, how does that make you feel when you see these movies go to Netflix instead of opening wide in theaters, say? Um, you kind of feel mixed, although the, the, the most... Uh, I, I guess where you lean to most heavily is that you're always looking for the best material. And I think we're so, no, beaten down is not the word, but we're so kind of sick of so much good material sitting on desks not being made. Right. It's not like, you know, when the industry exploded upwards and, you know, that whole Marvel thing sort of took over the, the, right. the world, that, um, you know, there's a perception, oh, people aren't, you know, making interesting films anymore or, or those smaller type films anymore and people are still writing them they're still on people's desk it's just a lot harder for an original idea to see the light of day both as a production and then to gain any foothold in the marketplace in terms of distribution and at your local right. cinema um, because the big films just muscle them out so much right. so i think for actors directors writers producers um people who are who have an urge to do original content? It's the best. Mm-hmm. I think we're about to. I think we're about to have an explosion of a resurgence of discovering a lot of great talent. And I've always felt that you know I was lucky that I started when I did, um, because I think if you're 19 or 20 or 21 now, I think it's going to be very very hard to break through with original material right. uh, based on the kind of movies that are being made. I don't know if you know, would we would we discover a Dustin Hoffman or Robert De Niro and Al Pacino in 2016. You know, would that true, would that yeah. kind of material be there for them in the in the movie system? Yeah, the movie system was unique then in that, you know, these kinds of movies were being made and, and sold on a grand scale because they kind of had to. They, yeah. They kind of um, didn't have that. They overextended themselves, the studios. But now there are these outlets. Um, yeah. And, you know, you have plenty of experience in TV going back way way back when. Um, not way back when, sorry. <laughs> that was a long time ago, but yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> yeah, you, have plenty of, movies. you have plenty of experience in TV. Serial TV is in many ways the gold standard for, for writing these days and, and acting. Would you consider getting into that again? Yeah, Even again, in Australia or US? Yeah, I live in Australia, so it's, it's difficult for me schedule-wise. But um, I mean, if the right thing came along and it was a schedule that I could right. that I could manage, I would definitely consider it. Because, um, as you say, I mean, there's a lot of you know great, arguably some of the best material right. is now in in that space. Uh, so we'll see. And, and it's also exciting that they're not only just doing series, but they're starting to do movies. Right. So it's very exciting because it means that we can um, 
make movies and actually <laughs> have them seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, this is the WSJ Speakeasy podcast. Today's guest is Eric Banna. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, WSJ Speakeasy. Your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. And that beautiful piano intro, again, by Eric Bana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the WSJ Speakeasy podcast. I'm here, I'm here, Michael Callia, with Eric Bana, star of the new film Special Correspondence, which is out this Friday, April 29th. So we were talking about TV and how you know, attractive it is and how challenging it is these days with all these different outlets. Um, so are there any particular shows that you have time to watch, first of all, and that you love particularly, but either Australian or mm. American or British? Or? I was a uh, big fan of Bloodline last year. I got hooked into Bloodline on Netflix. Yeah, is that which, with Ben Mendelsohn? Yeah, with Ben Mendelsohn and Kyle Chandler and Sissy Spacek. I just thought it was just a... Beautiful series, really well written, directed, acted, just everything. I just love the pace of it. Um, yeah, so I really, I really enjoyed that one, and I'm pretty excited that they're making a series too. Right, right. I have to catch up on that one, but Ben Mendelsohn keeps popping up, and he's fantastic. And, yeah, um, he was on Girls once, and well, you know, Ben's been fantastic. Ben's been around forever. Yeah, he was Ben was one of the one of the few kind of you know. Uh, well-known big actors when I was... He's been around since he was a kid and very well-known back in Australia and he's been doing solid work forever, you know. So none of us were surprised when right. when people started raving about him in Bloodline, but, it's you know, it's great to see him getting recognition over here. Yeah, yeah, that is good. Um, like you said, Australians have taken over. <laughs> They've taken over Hollywood and that's, that's a good thing because a lot of you guys are very talented and, um, and uh, you know... Women love you too. Um, so, one of your big roles here in America, big breakout roles, uh, Hulk. I am on the record of being a big fan of that movie. Just so you know, um, officially on the record. I, I wrote about it. I wrote about it. I've written favorably about Hulk, and I love it. And I think it's one of these weird movies that you don't see too much of these days. Mm. Uh, you've had so much time to reflect on that. How do you like? How do you think of? your experience making Hulk now? Uh, well, I guess it's in two different sort of um, areas. Uh, the film was kind of a weird one to to physically work on, but it was also, it was at a time before the Marvel Universe kind of existed right. in that in that space. We were, we were the first um, comic book movie out after the Spider-Man reboot, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, which was, which was huge. Uh, so it felt, it felt, uh, it felt fresh. It felt, you know, like it was something different, and 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 it was a very different take on that world. It was such a kind of dark, oddly, you know, serious 
movie for a for a comic book and Feng Li comic book. Yeah, yeah. so and it was kind of like that to make it. It didn't feel like you were working on a comic book movie, and really? you know, I never felt like I was working on a CGI film because all my scenes were kind of in a room with two or three other actors. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was an interesting film, and I just say it's, it's you know, it has a very divided opinion. Some people hate it, some people love it. It's um, but you know, the, I guess the good thing about working on a film like that is you, you go into it because the filmmaker and you know, there's no argument that that is Ang Lee's film. You know, right. he got to make the film he wanted to make, um, and you love it or hate it, but it's a, it's an Ang Lee film. Do you like to to make projects that that divide audiences? Not, not to set out to divide them, but challenge them a bit. Um, yes and no. I've, I firmly believe in in um, being involved in projects where it's one person's vision. I, do, I don't like being involved in projects that are made by committee. So right. I tend to be I tend to gravitate towards filmmakers and you know directors who have have enough kind of grunt to get their vision across. Right. I'm, I'm always attracted to that because I think you know I have a lot of respect for the filmmaker and. I think that's a really important important thing rather than a kind of project that's cobbled together with a million elements and then a director's thrown mm-hmm. on board. I I tend not to I tend not to gravitate towards those projects right. so much not so much consciously. I think some kinds of, it's just a subconscious thing. Um but yeah, I, I definitely I don't set out to be in films that split people at all. I right. just I do like um, films that have a point of view. If it happens, it happens. It's yeah. just the point of view. Now, um, you know, when you when you first became the big, you know, Hollywood name, um, you were in a lot of like franchise type blockbuster movies, and I could see that now. Like recently, you've, I mean, you've you did Star Trek and 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 stuff like that, but you you do tend to gravitate toward these more character-driven, vision-driven mm. movies. Uh, it's showing <laughs> in your filmography. Um, you have, uh, for instance, next Guy Ritchie, very strong voice, uh, King Arthur movie, right? Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that? That wrapped recently, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just a small part in that, so I can't, I can't say too much because I didn't see too much. Uther, um, right? Yeah, I play Uther Pendragon. But I mean, going back to what you're saying, I mean, it's 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 correct and it's incorrect in a way because I've never really felt like I was a part of that kind of big movie world, which is odd. I mean, Troy, right. no doubt. Or, you know, felt like a big movie to work on. Um, I've never done a never done a sequel. I've, right, I've, true. I've um, the bigger films that I've been in, I've either been sort of part of a big ensemble or like Star Trek. You know, you're playing the playing the villain. Um, so in the, those sort of ensemble-y, supporty, supportive um, areas, it almost feels feels a bit different. When you're kind of front and center, um, that's when it it, it it feels different. So. Um, yeah, I I've, I've never felt like an actor who's been in a lot of right. big films, even though even though I kind of kind of have. Um, yeah, and those big films again come back. To, it comes back to Singular Vision. You had Wolfgang Peterson and Troy, yeah. and um, even though Munich wasn't like a summer blockbuster, no, Steven not at Spielberg. All. <laughs> now that's another movie that I just love, and I don't think gets its due respect. Um, you know, when people talk about Spielberg post-2000, they mention that up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his post-2000 movies don't get the same kind of, um, <laughs> you know, 
applause as his earlier ones. But what do you remember about working on that movie now that you've had so much time to reflect on that? Because you worked with a lot of good names in that in that movie. It was probably uh, probably the most fun I've had on a film. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, for I know, such a heavy film, right? I know, and I think that that comes from the director. I think. The, the tone of the film set is always dictated to by the director, not by the actors. I mean, we can kind of try and muck around, but we'll get a slap, you know. Um, <laughs> but Stephen has a, a fantastic sense of humour. And I think he's one of those people that, you know, even though you're working on something very heavy and, and, and serious, there's plenty of room for levity. And, there, and, and thank God, you know. Um, so that was actually it was actually a lot of fun, and you know it was a great cast. And Daniel Craig, just before he became Bond, right. he was de- he was deciding on Bond while we were shooting. Actually, um, <laughs> so it was just it was a great cast, and you know amazing locations, and it was just a total pinch yourself movie. You you go to work every day, put on seventies clothes, and you're in a Steven Spielberg thriller. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just every single day was was um, you just felt you know very lucky. Did you did you talk to Daniel when he was deliberating over whether to do Bond? Yes. What what did he say? What what were did you give him any advice in this? Oh, I, w- I won't divulge um <laughs> uh, ex- exact uh parts of the conversation, but um I was I I was leaning towards telling him he should do it. <laughs> okay. That's all I'll say. Okay, okay. Um so who's funnier, Steven Spielberg or Ricky Gervais? <laughs> Um, to to an audience, I'd say obviously probably Ricky, but um, no, Stephen's got Stephen is um, has a great sense of humor. Actually, it's a very funny man. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you were on set with uh, Ricky doing mm-hmm. special correspondence, um, like you said, you did plenty of improv. Is there any kind of specific example you can give of like Ricky just kind of riffing, or you guys riffing off each other? Um, oh, there's a few. There's a few few bits and pieces that aren't in the film. I don't want to give too much away about that. Yeah, I don't end up giving too much away about the storyline. Um, so, the, yeah, I don't want to spoil oh, it. But, okay. no, we would just, like I say, we would do the scripted dialogue each and every time, and then we would just play and expand from that. Mm. Um, yeah. Com- uh, comedian co- to comedian, um, did you guys talk about your, your, you know, your philosophy uh, about jokes or, or your theories of why humor works or what works and what doesn't? Or was it just a very nitty-gritty kind of process thing? Yeah, I mean, we did and we didn't. I mean, we, we got along like a house on fire and we had a lot of fun making the film. So we weren't sort of dissecting the comedy of it too much. I think we, we both had an understanding of and felt equally about what would work and what wouldn't work. So we all, I always felt like we were on the same team so it was very easy and all, and and aided even more so by the fact that I'm a huge fan of his and trusted anything that he asked me to do oh. so I was all I felt like I was in great hands it wasn't like I was going back to work on a comedy with a director who's doing their first comedy right. you know I was going to work with one of my favorite comedians on a piece of material that he wrote so I just felt like the safety net was huge and he was editing as well so oh, wow. you know it's it's there was and he's got final cut so there's really no no reason to feel scared, you know, that anything that doesn't work is just not going to see the light of day. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a great, for 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 a, a, an actor, it's a great space to be in. One thing I like to ask, uh, ask interview subjects is, you know, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? <laughs> um, whew, that's a tough one. I mean, my dad always used to say when I was a little kid, never give up, never give up, never give up. And I always said they're the three best pieces of advice you can get. Um but not a terrible, not a terrible. I haven't had that many industry people sort of pull me aside and give me 
words of wisdom. Like I had a couple of mentors early on when I was doing comedy, but I think it was more by osmosis rather than, you know, yeah. do this and don't don't do that. I've really learnt I learnt on the job, you know, I didn't go to acting school, I I didn't go to a comedy improv class, you know, wow. I just I I wrote my own material. I started out in stand up, went into sketch comedy, wrote a lot of my own sketch comedy material. I really learnt on learnt on the job, um, and have continued to do so. Um, so I think persistence, you know. So that's that's interesting. Um, the fact that you didn't go to school and you just kind of learned on the job. How did you get into stand-up? Uh, when did you decide, oh, I'm going to do stand-up, and when did you first start doing it? Was it an open mic or, or something like that? Yeah, it was a friend of mine. I was working in a pub, and a friend of mine who was a promotions manager was putting on a comedy night and was hiring you know, a professional comedian, and he said, you should get up and do five. And I said, well, why don't I do stand-up? He said, but just... You make us laugh at the end of every shift. Just get up and do some and of that what stuff. What were you doing at the time? I was just barman, glass oh. boy, you know. And I said, oh, and I just assumed everyone was as good as Richard Pryor because he was one of my heroes growing up. <laughs> I just assumed every stand-up in the world was at least as funny as Richard Pryor. Like, mm. little did I know, right? So I, <laughs> I got up, I did did five minutes. Went, you know, went home and wrote five minutes. A couple of days later, went up and did a did a did this five minute piece and the. The working comic that night said to me afterwards in the bathroom, he said, you know, man, you should go to a tryout night. You should give this a go. I think you'd be okay, you know. And, I, and then someone told me what he was being paid. And I said, oh, wow, this is that. People actually get paid to do this. Went to a comedy venue, saw a normal comedy night. Four out of the six were pretty hopeless. Um and I realized that it wasn't this most amazing industry full of hilarious people, that it was actually, there were a lot of shades of gray of, you know, mm -hmm. people being good and not very good. Um, so it was just naivety and, and, and necessity, really, um, yeah. that I decided to give it a go. And then it just sort of snowballed. I got a really good start early on, um, was relatively prolific early in, in my stand-up days. How old were you? Um, I didn't start till I was 22, okay. 21, 22. Um, and yeah, just got off to a good start, and it just snowballed. Oh, and um, necessity just to have a job. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> else, what else was I going to do, Michael? I was. <laughs> I think I worked about twenty different part-time jobs. It's, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Trust I, I was, me, I'd be in the same boat without journalism. <laughs> right. I um. I, I was very much interested in acting, but that seemed like uh, becoming an astronaut to me. Oh, it was like unattainable. So I really, I was very lucky. I kind of crawled my way in through the side door, found the fire escape, and just kept climbing, climbing the <laughs> stairs until you know doors opened. Basically, who's that guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, thank you so much, Eric, for your time today. It was a pleasure talking Cheers, to thank you. you. This is this has been the WSJ Speakeasy podcast. I'm Michael Callia. I've been here with Eric Bana from Special Correspondence, which is out this Friday on Netflix. Thank you. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.